Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, our property, eschewing all groupthink and focusing solely on the truth. If that's your goal, well, it's a tall order, but we are here to deliver at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, today, the last day of the week, and I'm getting closer to our vacation. I will have a little bit of time off. Oh, I'm traveling to Florida, so we're doing a real experiment, driving all the way down with the kids. Who knows how that's going to work, both directions. So it's going to chew up like a week and a half, but I will be doing shows uh, for some of the days. I'm going to have a pre-record for, for Monday. Later in the week, I'll be back again just a little bit off my game, but everyone needs a break. But there's not much time to take a break, which is why I'm trying to work part of the time. Because just like with the FBI, where, where everyone seems to understand the problem now, yet they refuse to discuss a path forward, as we did yesterday, and I have a column out today outlining my five-point plan, what I think needs to be done with state interposition, it's the same thing with biomedical fascism. The same way law enforcement at a federal level especially is rotted out, the entire medical profession is rotted out. What do you do with that? People need treatment for a lot of different things. What do you do now that you have a profession that is antithetical to its stated goals? That's into eugenics, that's into discrimination, that's into violating human rights, that's into voodoo science, elevating science over God, but then the science they have is just utterly insane. Where even a first grader who doesn't have that degree of political acumen or uh, medical acumen understands that what they're doing is wrong. So we're going to have later on Dr. Joseph Latipo coming up, who was one of the original frontline doctors and then became Ron DeSantis's Surgeon General in Florida. We're going to ask him, hey, you know, he's out with a new book about you know, his his fight against COVID and trying to do treatments for people, early treatment, that has not been fixed. Okay, that that problem remains. The mandates remain too in a lot of circumstances, and the moral and legal authority for them have remained, and we need to fight that. But the spirit that they imbued the medical profession with how do you recover as a society? That's a right-to-life issue. That's why we spend a big chunk of our book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich. Steve Dason and I have worked on that. A big part of it is, is what's going on with the medical profession, literally the Fourth Reich. Um, so again, you can, you can pre-order your book and get the first chapter free at trialsandexecution.com. Um, where is this mentality? I just wanted to kind of frame where we are. With all of the open death, the excess deaths, the plummeting birth rates, all of the 
thousands of problems we're seeing. Young people die of brain bleeds and, and strokes and heart attacks. And how we could live through this and the medical profession could literally look at you and say, we keep getting COVID, so we need more shots that don't work so you can get more COVID and get more shots. How do they believe in that? This guy, Charles Eisenstein, he has a great substack. Look it up. But he was interviewed on the American Thought Leaders podcast with uh, the Epic Times. I, I, I once did that podcast. They once inter- interviewed me. This guy, Charles Eisenstein. I, I want to quote to you from, from what he put out in this interview. It's just brilliant. Human beings are exquisitely attuned to reading the mood of the mob. It's a survival mechanism. And in order to fit in, we instinctively adopt the correct opinions and profess those opinions. We signal the appropriate virtues. We respect the appropriate taboos that mark us part of the in group and not part of the sacrificial subclass. That mark of belonging could be a mask, could be a vaccine, a vaccine card. And it doesn't matter if the mask actually works or if the vaccine actually works. It doesn't matter if the kid actually has cooties or not. This is an ancient, powerful, psychological disposition that fascists and totalitarians exploit in order to control society. And he's describing, I think, the larger mass psychosis formation. But I think this applies doubly for the medical profession because it implicates their profession, because this is their bread and butter, so they have to go along with it because to not go along with it would expose their entire enterprise as a fraud. How do we recover from this? I don't understand how no one's asking this question. Life, liberty, and property. Life is the most important thing. You have an entire medical profession dedicated to eugenics now. What are we going to do about that? We need an answer to that. How do you break free from this insurance medical cartel and go back to fee-for-service medicine. These are questions we need to start asking. And we need very immediate answers. You see what I'm saying? Even if you take away all the direct mandates, which certainly has not been done, we're not done with this yet. Still, the damage it has done to the psyche of most doctors is irreversible. Medicine is now governed by religion not science or logic. And by religion, I mean Malok and Baal and all the pagan stuff. They literally see no problem with this. Let me give you an example. There's tons of news on this. I don't know if we're going to get to all of it today. This is not a right-wing blog. This is NPR, okay? The official national public, or as I call it, national Palestinian radio. What's behind the FDA's controversial strategy for evaluating new COVID boosters? And they note, for the first time, the FDA is planning to base its decision about whether to authorize new boosters on studies involving mice instead of humans. Now, you guys already knew this with the new Omicron fake booster shot. They're not even doing trials. And then we, we proved that they didn't even do RCTs on the monkeypox vaccine. How many doctors are even aware of this? And then if you make them aware of it, because it's a preconceived religion that everything that comes down from the church, their church, is the way, you know, religious people would treat, you know, their Bible, their church. 
So they automatically will have to cognitively explain away whatever they see going on to comport with their twisted sense of morality. This is crazy what is going on. Meaning, a lot of people are asking us, Daniel, you know, the, the, the biggest question Steve and I have gotten since we came out with the rise of the Fourth Reich is, man, you're, you're saying this is all planned, and do, do, you, do you really, are you really saying, like, you know, they, they, they knew about this and, and planned it anyway? I'm like, you don't even have to come on to what they knew in 2019, 2020. Look at what they're doing now. The more it comes out blatantly that it doesn't work, negative efficacy kills, maims so many people irrefutably. The more they not only say like, hey, let, let, let's lie low a little bit, they step on the gas pedal and like, not only are we going to do rushed fake RCTs, now we're not even going to do clinical trials at all. So of course they're doing it on purpose. They're doing it now. See, if it were a mistake or naivety or even like, you know, greed or something, by now they would have said, all right, we're going to step back on this. No, they're doubling down. This is not over with. I, I think a big part of what people don't understand, it's, it's a classic flaw in, in conservative media. It's like part of this owning the libs culture. Oh, look at the CDC. They're in disarray. They're admitting they were wrong. Dude, if you look carefully what they admitted and what they planned to do, it's not what you think it is. Now, I agree that the public largely perceives the CDC's admission the way conservatives do, which is that the CDC is an anti-science joke. And it, that's exactly why now is the window of opportunity to step on the gas pedal and go full bore and establish in the states and county governments a new number code to prevent this from happening again. Instead of just running away and saying, ha ha ha, CDC is done with this, they admitted it's wrong. No, they didn't. If you watch carefully, they, they're... What they believe is a mistake is that they didn't have enough of a centralized authoritarian response. That you have, too, you have too many governors doing what they wanted. If you watch carefully, that's what they're saying. So they're creating this new office that they want to make even more powerful. And they're tacitly admitting that they plan on doing this again. They tapped Dawn O'Connell. She's the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services Preparedness and Response. ASPR. That's that's the office that's going to run this. By the way, she was a literature major, just so you know. <laughs> um, not even a, a, a doctor. And in a memo to staff, O'Connell said the following. This change allows ASPR to mobilize a coordinated national response more quickly and stably during future disasters and emergencies while equipping us with greater hiring and contracting capabilities. A, that tells you, first of all, that their issue was the federalism. They want the national approach. And B, disasters and emergencies. As I told you, it's not just about pathogens. They're going to have more of that than they already do. But they're going to use this blueprint for stuff you couldn't imagine. They're going to keep doing this. And as it relates to science and medicine, that psychosis over that field, it's going to keep going. This is not over with. Now, folks, I almost forgot our sponsor today, you know, when we're talking about the shots, it's all pain and no gain. What if I told you there's something that is all gain and no pain? Upside, that's, that's the name, literally the Upside app, where there's only an upside. 
So we're going on our trip all the way down to Florida. Obviously, we're going to be filling up the gas tank a lot. It's a lot of money. Partly why we're not flying is because it's a fortune to fly with a family of six. Um, We've already saved a ton of money using Upside's incredible app. Basically, to get started, download the free Upside app in the Apple Store, Google Play, whatever. Use my promo code CONSERVATIVE. Right off the bat, you get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. What sort of purchase? You have gas stations, restaurants, supermarkets in there. So you go and you you sign in, create an, an account, and then you check in. Right before you're going to go to the store, fill up gas, for example. They have a lot of uh, Sunoco's or Shell stations. Boom, I'm going to go to this Shell station here. And um, you get, you know, rather than the tiny percentage on your credit card, we've been getting 40, 50 cents back um, per gallon. So that's a big percentage. 40, 50 cents per gallon often uh, cash back on our purchase. So, you know, if, if gas is averaging in your area four bucks, that might be able to get it down at the end of the day to three fifty. Um, it's free money again. I mean, this is this is simple. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or e-gift card. Um, upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's why they have a four point eight star rating on App Store. Download the free Upside app. Use promo code Conservative. Get free five bucks off your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code conservative, only an upside and no downside. Now, with this, we have only downside and no upside. Okay, let's just go through some of the latest news today. Okay, page 83 of the Moderna document. So this was the, when the committee approved Moderna, they have a committee, the FDA advisory committee briefing document. It's like 160 pages or so. Page 83, they openly say that there are there were very statistically significantly more infections, respiratory infections, within 28 days in the trial group than the placebo. They particularly found a lot of RSV. Isn't it interesting? Do you remember that last summer we had a record summer outbreak of RSV? We talked about that at the time. This is globally. Now there's almost no doubt in my mind it was from that because that's exactly when the you know younger people started getting the shots late spring into summer. They, they, they saw this. They knew this. And again, it's not just a side effect. There's something wrong there. If it's doing it, that means where you have that much smoke, there's a lot more fire around it in terms of what it's doing to your immune system. The more you peel through these documents, it was there. Then there's another thing on the Pfizer documents I want to share with you. Um, and kudos to Daily Cloud Naomi Wolf for pointing this out. But I looked it up. I just want to give this over to you about the motility of the sperm count and, and the sperm reduction, the concerns over, over population control. So there's the famous, probably the most important document we found, the 39-page document from February 2021, where you know Pfizer knew about over 1,200 maladies, nine pages worth. Uh, they already knew over 1,200 deaths and tens of thousands of serious injuries, and they said they had so many reports, they had to f- hire so much staff. It was like crazy. And then they, you know, the FDA knew about it, approved it anyway. So an interesting thing, if you go to page 30 of that document, it's the first page of the nine pages worth of uh, listing the maladies. 
um, again, at phmpt.org, this is the 5.36 post-marketing experience of Pfizer. If you kind of Google that 39-page document, you'll know you have the right document. And then put in a word search for sperm, okay? And what's going to come up is one of the maladies they knew about early on, before almost any young people, maybe except for healthcare workers, got the shot. And even then, they likely knew in the clinical trial, this is just what the document reported, anti-sperm antibody positive. Anti-sperm antibody positive. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I know when you start having anti Autoantibodies, that usually means like, yeah, it kind of attacks. So I looked up at invitro.com, you know, one of the medical websites, and under anti-sperm antibody, it says the following. The presence of anti-sperm antibodies in the ejaculate is an immune cause of male infertility. The adhesion of antibodies to sperm affects their motility, making the sperm's journey to the egg highly difficult or even impossible. Oh. You mean when we had that motility study that came out with the reduced sperm count, reduced sperm motility, they actually knew. So it's not just a random thing. Like, I don't know, maybe it's random. Maybe it's a, it's, it's causa- you know, a correlation, not causation. But they actually list anti-sperm antibodies, so that would cause it. That means that there's a direct mechanism of action. And Pfizer was aware of it. Pfizer was aware of it. Okay, folks? What would you do differently if you're trying to reduce the population? And, And again, it's amazing how nobody, doctors won't even question this. God created us to elicit, in response to infections, the right type of antibodies in the right amount in the right place at the right time. I'm not saying we can never achieve a proper vaccine that achieves that balance, but right off the bat, you can understand it's not so simple. Again, I never thought about it. To me, antibodies were like lollipops, like antibodies are great, but... No, I mean, you, you think more than two seconds, you realize all these autoimmune diseases, you have autoantibodies. You have, you know, like like any, it's like having a, it's kind of like having the FBI. Like, it's supposed to go after the bad guys, but they could turn on you. I mean, like we're seeing with, with federal law enforcement now. So it's a similar thing in your body. I mean, you know, it, God created your body to have these different, you know, cytotoxic T cells and antibodies and macrophages and all these, you know, um, cytokines and all these different things. But they could be extremely pro-inflammatory and start shooting at the body tissue as well. So, you know, and you got to you got to deal with that. So what this shot does, it's like kind of putting in your body the equivalent of today's FBI agents or ATF agents into your body. Well, they're not going to be focused so much on a virus. They're going to be focused on you. And that's what we're seeing. This thing causes like every auto antibody you could ever imagine. Right there. Again, we're seeing multiple disparate studies jiving with each other. And then every single study, I then go back into the Pfizer document, do a word search. And like, it's there. They knew about it. And before we bring on our guests, there's just one other thing I wanted to get to. An unbelievable post in an English language, Sweden.postsen, 
post.com, P-O-S-T-S-E-N, fewer children are born in Sweden according to statistics. Okay? And they talk about fewer people choosing to have children. Between January and April this year, 35,467 children were born in Sweden. That is 2,483 fewer children than the corresponding period in 2021. In, 20, in, in 2021, 1.69 children were born per woman. Now it's down to 1.57. And what's very interesting about this is that there's evidence that at the beginning of the lockdown, you actually had more children being born, as we thought. It didn't turn down until the vaccines. And then you scroll down in this article, and it's right there. It's unbelievable. There's a subtitle within the article, Childbearing Declined Nine Months After Vaccination. In the long term, over a 10-year period, childbearing has decreased. Not only in Sweden, but also globally, fewer children are being born. One explanation is uncertainty factors in society. The fact that fewer children were born in the spring than the year before may have something to do with the pandemic. Um, during the pandemic, more people had their second and third children than before. It wasn't a lockdown, but there were periods where people worked at home. Because they're talking about Sweden, you remember. So in Sweden, you didn't really have a lockdown. But there were you know, periods they worked more at home, so people were at home. They actually had more kids. So you can't blame it on the lockdown. A, Sweden didn't have a serious lockdown. That's why Sweden is so important to this discussion. But B, um, they actually would have had more children. That's kind of like the blizzard baby phenomena. But it was right when the vaccination came out, the effect stopped. So we went from more children to less. Just this, I'm quoting, just nine months after the vaccination started, childbearing also decreased. People thought that now the pandemic was over and they could return to their normal lives. So it's very, they, they like, they gloss over it. They say it. it's the weirdest thing. They say it and then throw in a bunch of gibberish words, like as if you think like they thought the pandemic was over, so they started having fewer children. But then they have a, it, 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 you got to see it. So my point is, it's not, you don't have to go to a right-wing blog or Substack to find this. This data is ironclad. That, that the reduction is correlating with nine months after having, having gotten the shots, and certainly the excess deaths, this is actually all, um, this is all predicted in the data. And, and this is now, it's being recognized. But if you, if you speak to your average doctor drone, they won't even know what you're talking about. And they'll go on and on. They'll be on a booster every month. And, and they'll look you in the eye and say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's working, so we need more. And, and, and won't recognize all of the problems around them. It's an unbelievable psychosis. So, folks, one doctor who definitely is not part of this mass psychosis is our next guest. Picture you have a raging fire. Picture you have 9-11 in the Trade Center. And imagine if the firefighters would have decided to run the other way. Well, we know thousands more would have been dead. Uh, a couple hundred sacrificed their own lives. They knew how dangerous it was. And they actually wound up saving thousands of people with that order, orderly evacuation. They did their job superbly. Well, when the virus came around, however it came, wherever it came from, but it came— and this was the Super Bowl moment for the medical profession. 
Okay, if you're a doctor, you're not a politician. Your job is not to tell people what to do. Your job was to immediately discover what's the pathophysiology of the virus, what does it do to you, and what are the things we know that work against those symptoms. Some doctors did that. Most did not. One of them is our next guest, Dr. Joseph Latipo. Um, He was one of the original uh, frontline doctors. He's an internist. But now, many of you know him as the Surgeon General of Florida. He's also a professor at University of Florida College of Medicine. He received his MD from Harvard Medical School, as well as a PhD in health policy from Harvard Graduate School. And he's out with a new book. And I want you guys to go on Amazon or wherever you get books now. Check out, listen to this title in in the context of what we're talking about today. Transcending Fear, a Blueprint for Mindful Leadership in Public Health. And Dr. Latipo, welcome to The Blaze. And I'll tell you, I couldn't have thought of a better title to really depict what we're up against and, and more importantly, what we need to do. Thanks for joining us for the first time at Blaze Media. Oh, Daniel, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here with you guys. So before we get to this blueprint um, and, and kind of get to COVID, uh, you, you start off writing about your, your background as a kid and fear and trauma, that you experienced trauma as a kid growing up. Could you describe, based on your experiences, what you think, what sort of trauma will arise from the abuse of children with ubiquitous fear over the last two years? Oh, yeah. Well, I wish I had something positive to say about that, Daniel, but unfortunately I don't. And, you know, I, I, what I describe and the reason I describe what I described in the book that I wrote is because it, it was a critical part of my own personal transformation to get to a place where I had more clarity on many levels of my life. It, and that, that just so happened to coincide with the, with the pandemic. But you are absolutely correct. I mean, one of the things that I've learned from from my own experience that I share more in terms of um, in terms of the individual who I worked with that helped me break out of the you know sort of the the the, the cage that I had kind of built myself over my life was uh, he talks a lot about he talks a lot about even just stress. I mean, there's trauma. It's almost like an acute stress that is sort of beyond our ability to process. And then there's kind of daily stress. And we have really exposed many people, not just the young, but many, many people to, um, to a lot of stress, stress from fear, stress from loss of access to resources that are important to them, including things like school and relationships and security and companionship. And that has a toll. There's no question about it. That's not, that's not something you get to do for free. No, it's, it's, it's not. And, and again, that social isolation really is going to reverberate that fear. Um, I would have never believed this back in the past that they would want to magnify that fear and cut off all avenues to alleviate the fear. But as we well know, one of the things they did to to magnify the fear is to block all ways of treating COVID. So it was presented to people that either you do what we tell you and you don't get COVID, which turned out not to be true, 
um, or you get it and then you're, you're you have a good chance of dying and, and and there's really nothing we can do about that. And, you know, especially the first year, they didn't even have the prized vaccines. And until the next, the following, the later in 2021, they didn't have the amazing, you know, Pfizer drug that just, you know, whatever. Um, so so there's no excuses, even from their perspective. You know, there was there was nothing, there was no alternatives. And to me, this was the really a watershed moment in my life. As you well know, I'm a political guy. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not particularly good at math and science. But it was pretty intuitive to me that, hey, okay, it's a new virus, but what does it do? Oh, it causes a little potential microclotting, pulmonary distress, um, a cytokine storm, the pulmonary inflammation. Okay, well, what what sort of anti-inflammatories, anticoagulants do we have? And then it's not just theoretical, but you have a bunch of these doctors, Dr. Zelenko and doctors, you know, Fareed and Tyson and these guys, they they seem to be telling us that they're not having problems and they're getting people through it. So maybe we ought to take a look at what they're doing. But instead, there was this vicious, almost like therapeutic nihilism that you weren't allowed to treat it where the same doctor who would tell a two-year-old you have to wear a mask would then look at their 70-year-old longstanding patient with heart disease and diabetes who says, hey, no, 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 I actually got COVID right now. Okay, wait till uh, you can't breathe and go to the hospital. You know, there used to be a show like, you know, do you know more than a first grader? So it's like an an average person could see that, okay, there's there's stuff that's used for pulmonary inflammation, inhaled budesonide. We saw it. We saw it literally as the blood oxygen level would go up after we used this stuff. How in the world, Dr. Latipo, did we reach a point where, I don't want to put a number on it, but over 90% of doctors will look at you like you're from Mars or you're like a detestable creature for even positing that you could treat this virus. No, I mean, it's, you're absolutely correct, Daniel. Everything you've said there, and you've named individuals who are my friends, like Dr. Fareed, wonderful guy, Dr. Brian Tyson, his partner, also a terrific guy. And, you know, it, it is a mystery because doctors, Obviously, the thing that we do is we we diagnose and we treat, and that's part of who that is what we do. So somehow, this campaign and this kind of coordinated effort at the beginning of the pandemic managed to basically hypnotize a large cadre of doctors to to instead of believing that treating or trying to find treatments or testing treatments was a good thing. It was something to be avoided. And that's, you know, that's a mystery to me. I think that um, I don't remember whose quote it is, but, you know, there's that quote about how, how, you know, insanity is the, is the, is the rule in groups, but the exception in individuals. And it's, and it's, it, it is true. And it's, it's just, it is, you know, fascinating how in some ways it's easier to actually convince a group of people to believe something than it is to convince to, uh, an individual, like to, to do the same thing one at a time. Mm. But that's exactly what happened. And you had, yeah, and, and still there, I mean, there are doctors here in, in Florida. One of the things that we struggled with and I was very unhappy about is that even you know, okay, so let's say you put aside the medications that are 
you know, that are controversial, that there's not a consensus of, there's still, you know, safe medications, so we should study them and people should make clinical decisions themselves. But, you know, even putting those aside, even after those with monoclonal antibodies, with, you know, Paxlovid or whatever, and other drugs that had, you know, the, the Merck product that is actually shaky, you, <laughs> you would still expect at that point, you would expect people to treat. But we were actually getting calls from patients. People were reaching out to our office saying that their doctor was telling them that they don't treat COVID. I mean, you know, what is that? You're a doctor, you're an internist, and you, quote unquote, don't treat this common condition. It's, it's just, it, it really, I do think it speaks to the ability of sort of orchestrators of this pandemic to essentially control the thinking of large groups of people. The masks are another example. I mean, the data are disastrous in terms of the highest quality data, but you still have to this day, you know, a, the, the, at least half, if not most of doctors probably still believe that they are an effective way to, you know, control COVID transmission. But not just believe it's effective. But but to the point that they'll take a rape victim who can't cover their mouth and deny them treatment, even though they themselves are wearing it. So if it works, it works. I mean, that's kind of this whole cognitive dissonance. So do you think that a lot of this is that the medical profession really is like every other profession, that it's taken over by politics and wokeness, except it's more devastatingly consequential when you're dealing with with lives on the line that because because what I've noticed is this. There's one thing if you're kind of like very cautious, you know, I don't want to use anything that I don't know this amount. But then when it came to the things that were in vogue, it was by the cool kids. They would just rush right into it. So I always say, let's take hydroxy and ivermectin. Worst case scenario, it's a sugar pill, you know, so it doesn't work. But you know, it's safe. I mean, hydroxy is used even in pregnant women with lupus, been around for so long. But even a doctor, they'll say, can't use it. And they'll get a pharmacy to almost like rule over the doctor. Fine. But then when you came to the shots and all of the novel stuff, and then no matter how much comes out about it, and then even Paxlovid, where, you know, it's uh, it's mixed with ritonavir, a heavy-duty AIDS drug, lots of contraindications. There's already the metallic mouth issue, that taste that they're leaving, the rebound effect we're seeing. A lot of things haven't been – this is novel, and they'll have no problem, and, 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 and now a pharmacist – could prescribe, I don't even know what that means, like what, they take them off the, their statins or something, they practice medicine. My, my point, Dr. Latipo, is that it's like, it's upside down. It's almost like, and then I know you're dealing with this too, so I want to throw this in and get your comment, which is the same people that will deny a kidney transplant to someone who doesn't get the shot, even at this stage, um, they will have no problem doing castration, to a minor and saying, hey, yeah, you're right. I think you're a girl. Boom. Like, what? I mean, how do you how do you explain this? Because it's not two or three people doing this. Well, Daniel, I want to tell you that you're you're absolutely correct. And I think that it's it can be challenging because you know, when when everyone, and I'm I'm saying that with air quotes, is sort of saying that no, that's not how it is, you know, this is right, this is right, this is right. And you're saying, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, why are these doctors not trying a medication that some people feel they've had success with and has a 
a safe safety profile that's comparable to other medications that we use. Why, why are you not trying that? Why are you instead telling this high-risk person to, to go home and cross their fingers? You know, is, is it me or, you know, it, <laughs> or is there actually a, a problem? And I would say that, you know, I would say that there, there are at least two things at play and there's more at play, but there are at least two things at play based on my observations. And I got to have those observations kind of in the, in the beast of the, uh, in the belly of the beast there at UCLA. So one thing you mentioned it earlier, there's like, there's no question at the top, they are in terms of the American Medical Association, the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics, the professional organizations are completely captured by politics. So there's there's just no question about that. Yep. I mean, there's there's and, zero question. There's, and I just before just, you get on to the second thing, captured by politics, to me, the perfect example is so you have um, COVID, which was very apparent early on. It was not a quarantinable virus, yet they felt you could totally, 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 totally shut everything down for that. Whereas right now I'm actually reading this is at valiantnews.com abstaining from gay sex not a realistic option for monkeypox duke university nursing dean says that when you have something that is totally a quarantinable virus <laughs> it's nearly exclusively coming from one activity and i mean they would shut down children and mass them and shut down schools and the churches and and all the economic melees we have to this day with the supply chains and inflation a lot of it is because of that and and and, and the spending we did and all the all the it would destroy the world and yet this just hey you know maybe 15 days you ought to lay off that a little bit and it's like no we're not going to do it and again that tells you it's not even like okay we're overzealous about pandemics we're a little bit autocratic about it no it's almost like it's 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 a it's a spirit. Medicine is not governed by like okay, what's more anti-inflammatory or not? Where where's the evidence? It's what is more in line with the spirit of the age. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that is actually a, a perfect lead into the second component, which is that you know I've noticed I myself have had my own transformations in terms of politics. So I went from I grew up in. I was born in Nigeria. I grew up in the Southeast. And I remember in North Carolina, I'll tell you that the sort of the message, like the communication, kind of the sort of the common belief, frankly, was that, you know, if you're, if you're black, you should be a Democrat because yep. the, you know, the white people, the Republicans are racist. They want to put black people down and that sort of thing. And, you know, and that's what I was surrounded by. So, um, you know, and I, and I actually believed it to some, to some extent, I believed it. And, you know, this is me during, you know, high school, I'd say middle school to high school, when probably around the time when people perhaps start forming political opinions, even if they're not quite conscious of that happening, but that's what's happening. And as I, you know, I'm lucky because I was, I've always been inquisitive and I've, wanted and I've always been curious. So as I, you know, was going through college and med school and then graduate school, I was very I became very interested in understanding, well, you know, what does this individual actually believe? And I back then actually I would read the weekly standard a lot. 
you know, as a, in like high school and college, I, I would read the weekly standard and I try to understand these other perspectives. And finally, kind of when it, when from my reading, I just became clear to me that first of all, you know, the stuff I was sold wasn't, wasn't true. wasn't accurate. Yep. And secondly, that the thing of politics is very interesting because people like you literally have people who were they born in different families, they would believe different things politically. And if that doesn't tell you, you know, like your family is not you, you are your, you are you, you know, you have your own perspective, you have your own soul, mind, spirit, all that stuff. So if your family is is influencing for a large proportion of people what you ultimately believe is quote unquote true when you're adult an adult politically that tells you that there's a problem with that model and in the case of doctors what's the second piece of it is that they are a group that is mostly very liberal politically and they suffer from the same problem that mm. most people suffer from who are invested politically, whether it's left or right or whatever, they believe that they are right and the other people are wrong and what's yes. wrong with the other people. And when you get caught in that, then you do things like you, you know, you lie about it. There being no harms from covering the mouths of babies, you know, kids, little toddlers, you can't see straight when a, um, and there's no pun intended there, you can't see straight when there's a condition that is mostly associated with um, high-risk sexual behavior that happens to be in a group of people, you know, happens to be among gay men, that you can't, you, you're so confused, you're wrapped up in your politics yes. so, you know, so deeply that you can't communicate straight because everywhere you turn, you're tripping over some brick about, um, not wanting to offend or this or that, you know, but there is a place. So with the, with the castrations, right. So they feel it implicates that same agenda. So they won't look at the science and prudence behind it, you know, doing all that to a kid. Right. Right. They prudence when you're invested politically. And again, it, it goes for, it doesn't matter. Republican, I, I mean, I, I'll spare us the Republican examples, but when you're invested in, in a, into a concept politically and into a political belief, it's, it's a tricky place to be because you are basically prime, a prime target for, for essentially mental manipulation which is, you know, which is what we part of what we saw in the pandemic, where people, you know, people take on positions that are not in alignment with common sense, because common sense is apolitical, you know, common sense isn't left or right. Common sense is just common sense. And so and you have a hard time identifying with common sense, which would help you make better decisions when things might not otherwise be clear. And I mean, you know, this, this, this craziness, I mean, it, it truly is, it's like an insanity that people think is okay to imagine that an, a child or an adolescent can come into your office and this adolescent 
you know, because the statistics are this adolescent has on average been exposed to way more traumatic events than the average individual. Um, those events haven't been dealt with because it's hard. And that goes for everyone to actually process trauma, to separate yourself from it and to not have it control, have such a control over your mind, your body, your spirit, your emotions. So to imagine that a child can come into your office with that type of background and tell you that he or she wants you to remove their penis and their testicles or remove their breasts. And your response is, okay, that's what we should do. I mean, you don't, that defies common sense. Ironically, if you shared that with middle schoolers, they would tell you that that makes no sense yeah. because they're not invested politically. They're just in touch with what makes sense. And, um, but unfortunately, when you're so invested again in some political position, you're, you are, you are vulnerable to making recommendations that do not align with common sense. But that's what scares me. It, it, we know this is true about the world around us in every profession now. Politics is greater than religion ever was. And, and we, we know that. And it is a religion. But the consequences when it comes to medicine for two reasons. Number one, I mean, obviously it's life and death. But number two, just because it is a specialty that people just automatically don't feel comfortable talking about. They want to defer to their doctor, so they just kind of wall it off. And, well, you know, if, 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 if he doesn't know, I'm not going to know better. And the more I peel back, I'm like, wait a minute, we've been lied to about a lot of things, and this is not the first rodeo, and it won't be the last. So I want to get kind of into the macro. We talk about the micro with the doctors, but the FDA and CDC and NIH, all these federal agencies. So you're Surgeon General of Florida, and you're confronted with a scenario like this. You know, our side likes to say we're pro-life, and we, we only usually apply that to abortions. But really, being pro-life is being whole life from the time of conception to the time of natural death. Natural death. Um, and my concern is, like, you know, conservatives didn't say, well, hey, you know, it's not me being forced to get an abortion. Like, I don't know anyone who gets an abortion, so I don't care. Let's just go in and, you know, have abortion on demand everywhere. They went and fought it and, you know, been largely successful more than any other issue. In this case, too, I mean, first of all, we do have mandates to get these things. But even without the mandates, when it, there's a, if we're going to have this new modus operandi of the FDA, this new normal, and if you watch carefully, that's what they did this to, to break through a new process um, that we are going to now approve. And l let's just put mandates aside because that's certainly immoral. But, you know, certainly to partner, market, distribute, taxpayer funding for, really get involved in it. Stuff that prima facie is like, whoa, okay, this does not follow. This is like doing heart surgery from the back. This is like, this is crazy. We would never do this. And and most of my life as a conservative, I always felt we overregulated therapeutics too much. And I was concerned about regulation. But now my problem is I'm fine with having something on a shelf that a doctor could pull out with informed consent between him and the patient. They're the ones that were given problems with that. But if you now have a dynamic where the FDA is going to market and promote and the government's going to get involved in it and then it's going to trickle down from the AMA and the board certifications and, and then you know no one's independent anymore, very few. So it's they're all work for corporate medicine, all the systems, the university systems. This is what we're doing. Even without a mandate, 
like like the at the Nuremberg trial for doctors, they talk about enlightened consent. It might not be a mandate, but you don't have enlightened consent. And you know, I, I don't know how much you've seen. I've talked about this a couple of days ago. I've put out articles on monkeypox. Prima facie, do do doctors know that on the label of Ginios it talks about up to two percent severe cardiac adverse events? That they never did an RCT but gave it a full BLS approval in 2019. I mean, these are basic questions. Dr. Latipo, what am I missing here? Did something change? <laughs> you know, Savannah, you are, you are absolutely correct. And something did change. And what changed, and you're, you're absolutely correct about those things. What changed is that, <clears throat> you know, it, it is that there has been, it's sort of similar to what we were discussing in terms of, people sort of buying into beliefs and becoming invested in them, but not in a way that is authentic. Like, again, you know, it's, if, if you, if you're, if, if your political beliefs would literally have changed, if you had been born in a different family or in a different area or whatever, then, or even a different color of your skin, that's, that may or may not be your actual, what you actually believe, what, you know, the individual that you are actually believe. So here, what's happened very successfully, and it happened to me too, and I discuss it, I have a chapter about it in my book, is indoctrination about mm. vaccines. So that, you know, in, and what I mean by that is that, and I, honestly, I, I'm, I was part of it. I was a, a victim of it. and I was too. Sort of, I, I went out and got yeah. a measles shot in 2019 because I didn't think I had enough. I mean... And I, I thought these people were crazy. I thought it was like a it was like a brick wall. You you're not allowed to peek behind that. They're Nazis. They're evil. And 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 then like so what that does is it walls it creates this intellectual ghetto, right? That you can't think beyond something. That okay, so now I slap a label vaccine to something, and suddenly it's God's gift to the world. And and there's you can never even inquire about it. And that is exactly right, Daniel. So you get plied with this doctrine during medical school. It happens at schools of public health. It happens at health policy schools. And, you know, the media helps sort of move the process along. And, of course, all that time they're getting funding from from drug companies that are they're soulless companies. I mean, they worship one God, and that God is money. So you get this, and then most people believe it. They come out of their training and they believe it. And, and you know, the result that you have includes doctors recommending, you know, a sparsely tested vaccine, these COVID-19 vaccines for individuals at low risk, you know, and that's going to, that, that's just, we're only at the early parts of that story. I think we're actually going to be learning more and more about the safety yeah. of those vaccines. So that, and you get these situations where you call, you know, this genius monkeypox vaccine that you're right. It's got, there's no randomized clinical trial in which it's been tested. There are some concerns about safety based on the studies that have been done. And they've mostly been, you know, they haven't been studies that have really tested effectiveness. And, you know, we, there's big question marks, right? The other yes. smallpox vaccine was associated with extremely high rates of, 
myocarditis, for example. But it's still available. Neurologic it's still effect. around. It's not it like they destroyed it. Right. Well, and, and I think that there's a role for informed consent and rational decision-making. You know, smallpox, for example, that's an extremely serious, serious sure. condition. And you can imagine that people might be willing to take more risk or at least from a policy position, I don't think it's unreasonable. I'm not endorsing that particular vaccine, but I, I think that. But that's you know, not the public perception. The risk meaning, has to be consent. No, I see well, what you're saying, exactly. but the public perception was that it's like taking a vitamin C gummy bear. That is exactly right, and it's because of this indoctrination into vaccines. And like everything else, how can you make the best decision when you're indoctrinated? You know, whether it's exactly. a liberal, a, a, a democratic perspective or a Republican perspective, or this vaccines are always good and, and, and <laughs> they're harmless and the people who think otherwise are, you know, crazy and anti-science perspective. And that's where most doctors are. And that's, and, you know, obviously, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's not enough data to be widely, to be broadly recommending this. And moreover, yes, People do have painful sores during the condition, but so far, you know, I mean, obviously the mortality rate so far is, is extremely low. There have been a few deaths yeah. that are outside of the United States. There are way more actual cases than have been reported just by definition. So, you know, you, in perspective, you, you really should be thinking, if anything, risk stratifying more, but this is being pushed out and Hundreds of thousands of doses they the HHS just released and and that really scares me because again another thing and, and I've spoken to some very prestigious doctors that I'm sure you know that went through the same I guess evolution that you did that you write about in this book it's so important for people to read it you're allowed to learn new things and like in my life I never thought about these and and it seems like doctors never thought about it either but it's not rocket science once you're enlightened to it. So, for example, Dr. Gert Vandenbosch, he's been talking about there's another concept of vaccine injury, which isn't so much the direct like injury, myocarditis or neurological damage, but but viral immune escape that in a macro epidemiological sense, you know, all things equal, like, oh, a non-sterilizing vaccine. And this Gino's vaccine seems to they seem to say in the. FDA recommendation report that it's it's non-sterilizing. It's not live live viral, you know, competent like the ACAM two thousand is, but it but it's non-sterilizing. And you know, in the past, I would think, all right, well, that's that's fine. It just you know, but the the main thing is severe symptoms, so that's that's fine. But now I've learned, and I think we should all be a little bit leery. It, it, it might be a good idea, but oh, there's now a problem of viral immune escape, if you have a non-sterilizing vaccine, it could make the pathogen more transmissible, right? It could, you know, evolve around it. I mean, that, that's a basic basic logic. And with the COVID shots, there sure seems to be some version of that going on. And it's like, there's no lesson. There's no, you know, one of the things I love about your group of the frontline doctors, right? I, I admire Pierre Corey, especially. His whole name in the world was made off of what? Ivermectin, right? But he didn't treat Ivermectin the way the other side did the shots. So, like, they, their goal was one thing. You know, they would get on these conference calls every week. Okay, what are you seeing? 
what sort of symptomology with this variant? Okay, what's working? At what stage? How are they responding? And they'd constantly update. So, you know, Corey was like, when Omicron came around, I was like, yeah, you know, I think hydroxy uh, speaks to this more than, than, than ivermectin did. Or like ivermectin seemed to be a charm with the original strain, even people on ventilators, like monotherapy, boom, low dose. And then when Delta came around, I was like, whoa, okay, you need this and that. They, they didn't dogmatically like stick with something to the gates of hell. It was all a matter of just what works. And, and that's what we're not seeing on the other side. You're, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. And, and it, it speaks to this, again, this, you know, indoctrination, this religiosity to some of these concepts where, you know, you're absolutely right. And I remember when, when uh, Dr. Corey, who was a friend of mine, you know, kind of, he tweeted something about, you know, there's something that looks different about, I think it was around the time of Delta. He felt like he wasn't getting the, the response that he previously got. And you can make statements like that when your mission is health, when your mission isn't the drug, but the mission has been the vaccine. The mission has not been health or the mission has been the masks, you know, or whatever restriction that uh, that's been pushed. The mission has not been health. So when the mission is a drug or, you know, some other you know, stupid, silly thing in terms of making it your mission, rather than mission being something grander and, and actually meaningful, like health or integrity or whatever it is, then when things happen, you just keep finding some rational, you know, you're, you're some, you know, rational. And I, I'm, I say that in ear quotes, well, pardon me, I should say you find a way to rationalize continuing to stick with the thing that is your mission. And yes. here with the, with these COVID-19 vaccines, again, more, you know, there's been, there's been a good study that's been published. That's looked at reduction in sperm counts very good study that was published on that. There's been a good, you know, there've been at least, there's been at least one good study showing these changes in menstrual period, menstrual yep. cycles in women. There's the Thailand. And, and by the way, Dr. Latipo, I just, yeah. I, I don't know if you, you didn't hear the beginning of the show, but I talked about the motility issues. Every study I see now, I go back to that famous 39 page Pfizer document postmarking experience, right? February 2021, where they have the nine pages of over 1,200 categories of maladies that they knew about that early. And I always find them there. So I did a word search on sperm and it comes up anti-sperm antibody positive. I mean, that the, the, and that's associated with male infertility and adhesion of antibodies to stir, sperm affect motility. I mean, what the heck? They, meaning, what I'm saying, it's not just a matter of studies. It's now we have so much documentation. If you look into Pfizer and Moderna's own documents and you speak to people who are injured in the clinical trials and they were never registered on the, on the, on the adverse events, I mean, there was fraud committed. I mean, this is a big problem. So, you know, you are a public official now and people are going to want me to press you on some specifics. What I want to know is, I think you agree that when it comes to the FDA now, you can't be trust but verify. Like Reagan said, you got to verify. Um, what sort of things do you plan on putting in place in the Department of Health in Florida to serve as a regulatory backstop or just a safety net for the public? Are you planning on, you know, when they come out with these novel recommendations and products now, 
to try to say, hey, we're going to independently take a look at, at what this is to make a rep- recommendation to Floridians? Yeah, yeah. So, yes, is the answer. I think that that um, there are we have some ongoing studies now that I don't want to elaborate on too mm-hmm. much, mostly, frankly, because of the environment. And I don't I honestly I, I don't I think that some of some individuals who are interested in things continuing just as they are frankly have no scruples and I, I would not even begin to imagine what they would be willing to do to try and undermine our efforts. So that, that's the, actually the main reason. I mean, this stuff is common sense stuff that, that yes. we're doing, uh, but you know, it's just not what's happening right now and that's not what's being discussed, but you know, we are actually doing some independent work to evaluate safety of some of the public health measures that we've seen recently. And, um, and that's, that's one major thing. I think that's one important way for us to contribute using our resources here in Florida. I would say in addition to that, you know, we are, uh, we, we're, we try and be very diligent and thoughtful about sort of essentially double, triple checking recommendations from the NIH by doing expansive literature reviews before making recommendations ourselves. We saw that, for example, with our recommendation that now seems, you know, I think more people would agree with, certainly parents would agree with, but, you know, we recommended early to, when it was very unpopular to do so, to not vaccinate healthy kids with these COVID-19 vaccines because yep. it, frankly, I didn't think the, I thought the risks were worse than higher than the benefits of doing it. So, uh, so we are doing things like that. Um, I'm always open to ideas and, you know, we can have a conversation about other things and people do approach sure. me often. And I, I listen to, at least when they reach me, I, I listen to most of them because some of the best ideas come from, from other people. And, and and that that's amazing just to hear new ideas and, and and that's where I think you and I are both very inquisitive. You know, I am a conservative, but I I I also like learning new things. And and the reason I feel so passionate about this issue is because I didn't have a preconceived political view on it. I didn't know what a cytokine storm was. I never heard of these drugs. I never heard of much less could pronounce methylprednisolone versus dexamethasone. But, you know, I saw one side making a case that one was really much better and the other side was just like, shut up. Okay, well, that's very sciencey. Like, why are you continuing to do that? So last point here um, on recommendations. So here's the thing. Even in the lowest, lowest estimate of vaccine injury. I mean, you just take theirs. For example, just myocarditis, there's what over so over 50,000 with perimyocarditis in theirs now. And a couple months ago in JAMA, CDC researchers said, quote, likely, unquote, it's likely that it's underreported based on just the rate of confirmation they were seeing. Um, so, so we know, I mean, this is, again, even if we're a low percentage, it was given to almost everyone in the world. So, you know, it's a heck of a lot of people need help. My heart I'm very troubled by this because I get a lot of emails from people and and people need help because you're not allowed to recognize that it exists. So we're a year and a half behind diagnostics, studying, um, how to treat, how to detect it. Um, my question to you is, 
do you think there's a role for the state to step in and try to help fund help, you know, because often insurance won't cover. Think about the cardiac MRIs to discover subclinical myocarditis. They ain't paying for that. It's very expensive. Um, and connected to that, do you think we need state-based vaccine report uh, injury reporting systems? Yeah, so, you know, in terms of policy solutions, as you know, those are always complex to think through because they often have ramifications for different different stakeholders. And I, I'm, I'm, and that's not a dodge. That's literally, I mean, literally, that's how I approach sure. policy decisions. I think about what the effects are, or not even just policy decisions, but I think about what the effects are on different parties. So in general, the goal of, of promoting public health, which you can only do through, through truth, which we haven't had during this pandemic. Instead, it's been sweep the sweep the, the messy stuff under the rug, you know, and, and that's not going to work out. That's that I really do think that 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 this is going to be this is going to explode. So um, so, you know, so kind of taking that in mind, I do think that states absolutely have a role to play when there is a failure at other levels of leadership and you know what that exactly looks like. So for me here at the department of health, we are actually doing studies. We are, we're, we're working on, we're, we are working on actually kind of new studies that are very relevant to safety related to COVID-19 vaccines. And we have some ongoing studies that use Florida data to answer questions that should have already been answered, you know, if in fact mm. the goal of this public health campaign was health. I think in terms of other policies to address injury, you know, it, it can be, it can be, I think a comp I, from a medical perspective, it can be complicated because obviously some conditions are, you know, are sort of true, true and unrelated and some conditions yep. have a causal relationship. And, you know, what we've seen, of course, is that vaccine injury for at least non-emergency, non-EUA, non-crisis vaccines have kind of this no-fault system, which I know that individuals have argued against that because some individuals believe that the drug manufacturers should, in fact, be at fault so that they have more of an yeah. incentive to um, to to make better, safer products. So I would say that in general, just kind of based on overall, I, I do think that those individuals are more right than wrong. I mean, there are shortcomings, you know, there are trade-offs associated with making those companies liable, but the history sure. of those companies is terrible. You know, yes. they are, you know, they, they make tons of money on drugs. They claim that they need the money for research, but the fact is that historically, most of the research that happens, it doesn't happen in drug companies. It's a big lie. The most <laughs> of the research that happens, happens at universities. And most of that research is publicly funded. Like that's where, and then, the, you know, and then sometimes professors will partner with, you know, will we'll take their products private or they'll partner with drug yeah. companies, the drug companies buy it out. And then the drug companies claim all the credit, you know, and they raise yeah. and the prices are high. So they're, they are, 
you know, and, and yes, I'm glad that we have medications and drugs, but they are a profoundly corrupt industry. Like there's just no, they worship yes. one God and that God, God is money. So, and that God is money, you know, but now exactly. factor in, they're absolved from even the degree of immunity that any industry will have. But then also, it's one thing if, okay, you, you sink or swim on your own volition. It's funded, marketed, distributed, partnered with the government. Um, they make it, I mean, there, there was never a marketing campaign in the history of the world like there was behind this. And then every doctor trickles down, every association, he'll get censored, he'll lose his job. And then no no way of studying. Like, I mean, we all know, I mean, between autopsies, D-dimers, cardiac MRIs, this is very easy to study and should have been done ages ago, but it's not. And there's a reason for it. There's unnatural selection in academic literature. Hey, you can't get the money if you did. Well, what if the results are kind of problematic you're gonna you're gonna lose your head so then and then people can't get treated doctors don't want to recognize insurance companies don't want to cover it it's a very big problem um that's fascism i mean that that's not even like you know i'm saying that the liability is one piece but when you put it together with that so i just feel to have the state kind of open up some sort of valve of discovery see to me it's not even so much the liability in terms of paying out uh you know punitive or even compensatory damages but the discovery the discovery of the judicial process and we don't have that that's the only avenue to get get discovery so i was thinking maybe you know if you had a state some sort of state oversight reporting study so i'm glad to hear you're you're on that um really thankful for your time final quick tidbit here what's it like to work for governor ron DeSantis? yeah i i enjoy it very much i enjoy it because i really admire him i mean imagine how literally he has single-handedly changed what this country looks like because he has changed the landscape of this whole debate about how, you know, how life should look like how during a pandemic in this country, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's, I mean, terrifying to imagine how things would look like if he hadn't done the things he did. So I'm, I'm very grateful for him. I really, I appreciate quite deeply what he's done. I appreciate the opportunity he's given me to be able to kind of flex some of my interests in this area and giving me the space for that. So he's, I mean, he's, he's really, he's very gifted with a very clear vision of right and wrong. And he's got a lot of integrity you know, he's in it for like the best reasons, which you know, I don't know, you could probably interview a thousand people in DC and wouldn't find one of them who's in it for the best reasons. So, and those reasons are really the betterment of it, the lives of individuals and the betterment of um, really the betterment of life, the lives of individuals. So it, it's been, it's been great to work with him and to, and to get to know him. And I'm, I'm grateful for the, for the position and for the opportunity. Well, there you have it, folks. You know, one doctor's journey through this, which I think a lot of are going through, uh, that we're learning new things that are very, very, very shaking of our foundation in medicine. And, you know, we just got to go where the truth takes us. That's where you're headed. Transcending fear, a blueprint for mindful leadership in public health. Pick it up. Order it today. Thank you, Dr. Ladipo, for joining us today. Really looking forward to having you back. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks so much, Daniel. Take care. God bless.
So, folks, let me know your comments, questions, concerns at C19 Truth Bombs is the Telegram channel. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Um, you know, certainly you could tell a very godly man, a very humble person. He really is, you know, very open mind, you know, and that's the thing. No one could accuse him of being a rabble rouser and having an agenda. He doesn't run with any one thing. He's open to sitting down and saying, hey, let's just let's just go where the truth is. Let's go where where the truth is. Um you know, rather than just automatically saying ruling in or ruling out anything. And I think uh, the Florida governor is well served by that. Um, but I think you could hear in his voice, and and, and th- there's a chapter in his book about this. It's very interesting. A lot of doctors uh, are, are going through this evolution. Not enough. But you had kind of the, the group on the fringe, and I don't say that negatively. I say it endearingly, that they were ahead of their time. And then you have people, you know, P- Peter McCullough will readily tell you that. Malone, Paul, uh, um, uh, Ryan Cole, right? He will tell you that as well. Like, look, I, you know, I thought automatically this is what you're groomed to think in medical school, that the world starts from level 10. You don't look behind the first 10. Like, okay, well, how did you arrive at that? Are you sure all these vaccines are as pristine as you're telling me they are? Are you sure this is the approach? And we know, like he said, they serve the god of greed. Um, and I actually think it's even more than that. When you get to people like Borla and Bansel, um, it's not just greed anymore, but they're part of this master of the universe class that actually wants to literally control people. So it's not just the money. You could get you know X number of billions of dollars, but they want they want to control people, their bodies, minds, and souls, quite literally. And this is this is very dark, very very dark. Um, and I think he's still going through that process as many of us have. And that that's what a growing person is. That's what it's about, willing to learn new things. It's okay to learn new things. You know, I thought that I, when I was in college, I thought the Iraq war was a great idea. You know, I thought we needed to show them and whatever. You know, it's okay. But now I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I zealously oppose this nation building and understand the problems about it. These other people, they'll refuse to learn the lessons. And, and that's what this is all about. We need a complete overhaul, I'm telling you. We need parallel certifications for doctors. We need more avenues to allow, you know, to, to escape the insurance system. Like, like one big action item, and, and, and you have to see how states could do this in a federal system where the insurance is messed up federally. But one action item I think is so important is to at least create, this is what, this is what Obamacare denied us, an option for catastrophic insurance. So, you know, we all, you all need insurance in that sense that you're covered if you get nailed, and then that way more people could be free. Okay, now I'll go to fee-for-service for the rest to a more open-minded doctor, and then that kind of will, will snowball you know, from there and break that monopoly. One of several things we need to approach. I didn't get a chance to talk to him about the insurance system, but um, we'll have him back again. Folks, I am going to be traveling um, all the way down to Florida, speaking of Florida, um, again. And uh, so I will be, you know, I'm not going to be up on everything. The point is to take a vacation, but I will be doing some shows. Look for Monday show. Um, probably Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll be off. But Thursday, Friday, I'll make sure there is, you know, 
a, a solid show up on all the information as always but look i need you to be my ambassador i'm gonna stay with you i need you to stay with me send this show to all your friends and relatives um change minds change hearts change souls mike is six eight till next week god bless y'all and thank you for listening